Hello, welcome to the Doing CX Right podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, devoted to helping leaders like you intentionally increase brand loyalty and cultivate better relationships by doing customer experience right. Not talking or thinking about it, but really taking action and doing experience management the right way. This show is about guided steps to achieve better human and business outcomes, which has nothing to do with competing on price. This season of shows digs deep into new research and case studies reviewed with highly acclaimed authors and experts. Plus, you'll hear my insights as a practitioner working with various sectors and organizations. Besides business, you'll also hear personal stories and invaluable lessons to fuel your personal growth as we bring our whole self to work. Please share this podcast with others who can benefit and subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com for updates and helpful resources to advance your business and career. Today, I'm excited to be speaking to the admirable Joe Wheeler, who's the author of Designing Immersive Experiences. He has studied a lot about what brands are doing right, like Nike, Starbucks, Amazon, and many others. And so he's come to my show to educate ways to delight customers and employees too. We're diving into the key steps so that you can understand identifying the right problems, solutions, and outcomes you can expect by designing immersive experiences and doing CX right. Some worry digital first means putting technology ahead of people, but really it's about balancing digital experiences with humans. And we'll touch upon that and much more. So let's get started and introduce you to my guest. Hello, Joe Wheeler. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Well, it's wonderful to be here, Stacey. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am excited to talk to you because, well, we think alike, yet the studies and experiences we have are different. And that's what this show is about to bring the diversity of insights and learnings and case studies. So let's start out with, first of all, in case anyone doesn't know you who's listening, what do you do for a living? Who are you? Well, I tell my kids I'm an unemployed actor, but they have not bought that ever. Um, so I, I'm the CEO of a company called CX Digital, Stacy, and that's a subsidiary of a company I co-founded with some Harvard business school professors called the Service Profit Chain Institute. And so this organization is really focused on helping clients understand how to think about CX design in a digital first world. Mm. Why are you so passionate about this? You know, um, I guess for a couple of reasons. One is, as I write in in my new book, this digital tsunami isn't coming. It is here. (laughs) You know, when... uh, OpenAI released ChatGPT, as I say, the proverbial genie is out of the bottle. And I just see organizations really struggling with the to understand technology in the face of, of what it provides and this notion of both promise and peril. And so I feel like this is a place we could make a difference, honestly. Mm, oh, absolutely. Well, let's get to customer experience, customer service. 
When I say doing CX right, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's a terrific question. I mean, I guess I guess I say at least three things. You know, the first one is about being intentional. You know, uh, the best companies that we work with don't have a mission. They're on a mission. So when you read about Nike, you know, their mission is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete. And if you have a body, <laughs> you're an athlete. So that to me is like the first thing is what's your purpose and what's your intent? And then I think a second thing would be understanding both the art and the science of this. You know, the art being, how do you shape a high-performance culture that's customer-obsessed? And then the science being, you know, what are the operational decisions you make to bring that to life in a way that's powerful? And I guess the last thing is not being static. Like, I say to people, don't adapt to this digital tsunami. You know, put it to work. Um, to your advantage. You know, someone once said the best way to predict the future is to invent it. (laughs) Yeah. I love that you said art and science because my framework is heart and science. Right. So we could spend a whole time on that, but we're not going to. We're going to talk more (laughs) about your book And we're going to focus on designing immersive experiences intentionally. Yeah. So let's dig deep into what is your book about? And let's break apart some of the case studies in terms of what's a problem that people can relate to. And they may not be as big as Nike or Amazon or Starbucks, yet they can really take the lessons. So let's pick one of those and go deep into the problem, the solution, and, and what happened. Well, you know, the, the, the one that really strikes me is, is in the introduction around this wonderful company, Zoom Pizza. Zoom with a Z, a U, an M, and an E. And you might remember in Southern California, uh, back in, I think, 2017, 2018, uh, they were using robotics to to make pizza, like literally robotics. And then they actually used artificial intelligence to predict deliveries. So think about that for a second. So they can actually assemble a pizza, put it on a truck. They had, I think like, I forget, 87 ovens. So it would bake it on its way to your house. You could have like a fresh pizza in just record time. And um, they raised, Stacey, I'm telling you, something like $350 million in venture funding to scale this thing. And and you would think in COVID, that'd be great. But by, I think, 2019, they went out of business. And I remember when I read that, they ended up transitioning the company to a packaging business. And, um, you know, they had a few issues. But, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I kind of thought Domino's had really improved the quality. You know, for a while there, Domino's wasn't great, but they really brought in a new CEO. They apologized, remember? And they really got the quality. They delivered a pizza in about 30 minutes. I didn't feel like I needed it any faster. Do you know what I mean? Like 30 minutes was fine. And uh, I kind of love their pizza tracker. You know, when you could actually see that, uh, you know, Jeff is going to show up in 10 minutes and then Jeff shows up in 10 minutes. And I thought, you know, were they really solving a problem that needed solving? <laughs> because I felt like there was already a solution that did a great job. So I think step one is, you know, in a digital first world, more than ever, because you can invest so much in technology, are you solving something that really matters to a customer of segments who, who will adopt your solution and repeat, repeat, repeat because you've done such a great job? 
And it's easy. You know, there's an old saying in the product development business, fall in love with the problem, not your solution. Uh, but you see lots of companies fall in love with their solutions. But you know, there's a survival bias. You don't hear a lot about those stories. <laughs> Why did the first pizza company not survive in your mind? Well, the, for what I understand, there were some product quality issues around the, the delivery piece of it. Like it didn't, there was something about stabilizers and pizza that they kind of missed. But at the same time, you know, I just believe that when you bring something like that innovative to a marketplace, you know, the old idea of how we used to build products, Stacy, with waterfall and, you know, Agile has replaced that. And thank God, because companies that really seem to be successful today, uh, they test and learn. They do incremental changes. They te- they get feedback. Um, that's one thing that gets missed in com- in situations like this when you start to unpack what went wrong. Like a great example of the opposite side of this coin is Intuit. And when Intuit, very big technology company, right? I mean, think of QuickBooks and TurboTax. And when they went into India to introduce a new product into the agricultural market, um, they started off just on the ground, work, you know, understanding the pain of farmers in taking their products to market. And they set an interesting goal. Like most companies would enter a market and I'd say to you, Stacey, you're a high-performing manager here, go to India and figure this out. And why do you set a target of increasing our market share by 5% within the first 24 months? You'd say, that seems like a great target. Not into it. They set a target. It was really interesting. They said, let's develop a product that will help farmers raise their income from crop sales by 10%. You know, you're a marketing pro. When have you ever heard of a goal like that, right? Totally customer back. Like we're going to build something. And the only way you'll do that is if you solve the problems in their life. And those are the products and services that seem to be successful when, and you know it, when when you find something that just fills, like closes a gap in your life, like never letting it go. (laughs) Absolutely. The question is, and you answered two things. One, I want to highlight that the target, setting a target and rallying people around that is important. And the importance also of testing, I call it test, analyze, adjust, repeat, TAR. Um, A boss taught me that. And and so that's really important for people adopting technology to take that, embrace that into their company. I couldn't agree more. Tell me more about intentionally designing immersive experiences. And you said you have to solve real problems. Well, what have those best performing companies done to even identify the right problem to bring the technology to that experience? Well, so this, you know, let's wander down a path together that I think is a little provocative. Because I get into trouble with some of my peers about this point of view, but here's what I learned from studying the companies in the book is um, like traditionally, and listen, we would have advocated this a few years ago. You start by mapping the customer journey, doing all the data. And we, and we say that, right? One of the, part of the, the third part of the book is the playbook. How do you understand customer problems? But what you see um, leading brands do these days is they simultaneously understanding what's happening with technology. Like one of the case studies is Semex. Not everyone knows Semex. They're a huge construction, basically cement, uh, concrete products, but a construction company based in Monterey, Mexico. And uh, they introduced Semex Go, their completely touchless experience. 
probably in 2017. It scaled in 2018. Uh, I mean, talk about perfect timing, right? When we all the world went into lockdown, and they had a touchless digital experience to deliver ready mix and things like that. Now, I kind of grew up in this industry. So I have a great appreciation for the problems they solve. Like if you're running a construction site, Stacey, and the ready mix truck shows up late, and you've got 29 laborers ready to distribute that ready mix that you're paying $29 an hour each, like or more, you're in trouble, right? You just went over your cost because that guy got stuck in traffic. So they solve a real problem. They do it digitally. But they didn't start out that way. They began by benchmarking companies like Amex, um, the world's biggest bank with how they do customer onboarding. Because before they wanted to talk to customers about their problems, they wanted a lens that was digital because they would see the problems differently. And I think this is a fundamental difference today in CX design that not a lot of people find popular. But it is the truth because, for example, when you work with companies in the Valley, I'm sure you found this. I remember sitting in the um, the office of uh, a client in the digital payments business. I'm meeting the CEO for the first time. And uh, yeah, a little bit nervous, obviously. You know, it's like a big company and we're here to help them with their CX design. I want to impress them. And I'm waiting. And there's a letter in this office that says, congratulations on your 140th millionth customer. <laughs> now, I tell you that story because I didn't have a lot of customers that had 140 million customers, you know, other than maybe a bank in China. And so yeah. when you work with companies in the Valley, they have a digital first mindset. They just think, they see, they see the problem, but they immediately see digital solutions to it. And I think that's a big deal. The second thing I'll say is what Simex did, once they did all this benchmarking, then they applied Agile, they co-created with customers as they took different interactions and digitized them. They watched how customers behaved. If the customer was taking a long time to adapt to their bot or adapt to a digital channel, they kind of pulled it back a bit. You know, they kind of watched that adoption happen. But here's the good news. They reduced costs to serve in some interactions by like 50%. I mean, mm -hmm. and they pulled this off globally, like around the world, not just in, in Mexico City. So the, the last thing I'll say is I think that from immersive experience, uh, this is not just about augmented reality. You know what I mean? When I say immersive experiences, I'm really defining that a bit differently than putting on some, uh, you know, uh, uh, augmented reality glasses. It's, this is about what's the combination of human, digital, logistical interactions that design an experience across channels kind of seamlessly, right? So you can pause and resume that exceeds expectations on those moments of truth that really matter. That's yes. kind of how I define that. So I want to go back a moment. You talked about the construction site. You talked about pizza and delivery time. I relate to that. In one of my roles, I was in an elevator industry, um, never pictured being there. And I was for four years. And what really I learned is installation of elevators and escalators. Property managers need to know when are you coming <laughs> and giving the right ETA, that, that correct estimated time of arrival. Even right. consumers need to know when's a delivery coming. So technology can really help with that. But if it's not done right, it could also create real dissatisfaction. Yeah. I hear that industry is full of up and downs. <laughs> but I'm bummed. <laughs> 
You've never heard that yes. before, right? Oh, so much. And not only is it ups and downs, here's another fun fact. When I worked in the industry, I would get a ton of selfies from people, <laughs> friends and family and strangers of that they were in the elevator of the brand that I worked for. So I didn't get like children and puppies. I got elevator pictures <laughs> from cruises and vacations. And it's very funny. Yes. <laughs> so you indicate in some of your writing and you talk about some worry that digital first means putting technology ahead of people. Elaborate on that. What's worrying people and should they be worried? Mm. Especially with yeah. this booming, <laughs> booming yes. uh, fast-paced technology. Yeah. Well, you know, as you know, Stacey, I did this nine series of LinkedIn articles. The last one was called, Does Digital First Mean People Second? Because I do think it's an issue. I think I see it in our client work and I just hear it in the conversations on LinkedIn. It was funny, the feedback, kind of encourage people to leave comments. And I get back to everybody. Like I comment back to everyone. And it is interesting because I think, first of all, you know, what we learned from looking at best practice companies is that in a digital first world, actually, you know, frontline employees are more important, not less important. You know what I mean? It's like, because at the same time, it's a little bit like when social media began. I remember talking to the head of marketing for a large company in Dallas uh, who was recognized and won awards for their social media campaign. And I said to him, so, so what's the role of marketing now? Like, you know, paid marketing. He said, oh, it's way more important because now that's the only channel that your voice you control because you don't control anything else at this point, right? And I think we'll see the same thing. Now, having said that, clearly, you know, machine learning and generative AI is going to just have technology that will change the role of employees. And, and as especially they're so well suited to hand, handling repeatable tasks that, you know, it, it's just very quick for a computer to solve for, right? So we'll see that. At the same time, you know, it's an advancing... When people talk about machine learning, they tend to forget the most important part of it, which is the learning. <laughs> so, you know, Lemonade, Lemonade, the insurance disruptor, have uh, chatbots that can um, sell you an insurance policy in like a minute and a half. They can also process your claim at about the same time and have it deposited in your checking account. Now, when they started off, that claims bot called AI Jim... He, I call him he. Isn't that crazy? It's a computer, right, Stacey? But, I, but isn't that funny how you... There's a whole science around this whole thing we won't have time to talk about today. But if you're interested, I'll share with you. But he, he, what I wrote in the book is he handles every claim automatically a third of the time. As of a month and a half ago, that's gone up to 50%. See, this is what people don't really appreciate about machine learning is as the data set grows and the hallucinations, the error decrease the precision and the recall becomes better. And a bot never gets angry and never gets tired at the end of an eight-hour shift. It's always available. So, so we have to acknowledge the fact that what we see in, in chat technology today is going to be fundamentally different in 12 months. You know what I mean? And imagine what that will be like in three years. And, you know, whatever side of this debate you land on, the point, <laughs> I guess the point I try to make is, Standing on the sidelines just isn't a good idea. You know what I mean? It's like it is going to move. And the best companies to me are 
are you going to get ahead of this and really rethink? Like, just walk out technology is a wonderful technology. Um, a, a contributor in Forbes says it's the most important technology in retail in 30 years. And, you know, it's hard to disagree with, right? Now, Hudson Nonstop is a great example because their cashiers now, where they piloted this, are now customer service agents. So they're helping customers through a busy airport find what they want and they just walk out, right? They don't have to check out. So listen, last point on this. Some researchers did some uh, analysis in, um, I think, Scotland and Wales. They looked at 140 years of data, okay, from like 1871. Because they want to answer the question, since, since from 1871 to today, has technology destroyed jobs or, cre or created it? And they found that in, in average, technology created more jobs than it, than it kind of destroyed over time. But listen, McKinsey and other smarter people than me are writing a bunch of studies about how changes are going to happen in the workforce. And I think human resource managers, heads of operations, heads of customer experience need to pay attention to this data uh, because it will change. And it is uh, the way organizations will design service operations in the future. Yes. Now, I want to add on, uh, not but, but and, <laughs> that there is this important synergy of the technology and human. And yes. if we think about going back to chat, because we know that's a big use case. Today, I was chatting with Amazon and what they did right, and this is what any company can do, is when I was chatting with the bot, it couldn't answer my question. So rather than fight me and give me this full circle, it got me to a human. The human yes. asked some questions and that human couldn't answer my question. So she or he or they or whatever it is <laughs> said, I'm going to pass you along to someone else. Give me a minute to be able to explain the conversation. Yeah. And that next agent was able to pick up where they left off. Yes. And that's what even IVRs don't do. They ask you to repeat that account number that you just input, right? So it's a good example where the digital and the human need to make it easy for us and not make us repeat, make it effortless and work together. Yes, we work with a terrific company called Excel Technologies, and they use artificial intelligence to help improve the productivity of call center agents. And this happens in real time, and they're able to study what high performers do and be able to build that into the advice they give to the whole call center agent group to improve everybody's performance, right? Um, and they do a great job of that. And that is a nice transition. I mean, that's a, that's a way to start to imply uh, AI, and all the companies providing those services are incorporating large language models uh, into their into their capabilities these days. So that's a perfect example of how technology and humans work together uh, with a human in the loop to exceed an expectation and get outcomes we want. First call resolution. You know what I mean? It's like a quality of call, all those types of things. Love that. Well, as we're getting close to the end, I want to ask you a few last questions, which is, I want people to take away I want them to go do, take action from what they're hearing. So mm -hmm. whether it's from some recent experiences or your book, what would you say to an entrepreneur startup listening or if it's a leader in a mid-sized big company, what are things they can do today and, and 
into next year to design that immersive experience that ultimately improves their results? What are a few things they can do? Yeah, Stacey, great question. I'd say at least two, three things. Number one is, you know, if remember when we used to talk about the competition for talent? Yeah. That's on steroids now. Like that has changed. And, you know, the big five, Google, Facebook, you know, they did some resizing. There's talent on the street. Uh, and if I was an entrepreneur, I would like, you know, with a mid-sized company, I would be go, going and get that talent. Like it's going to be, it's going to be very hard to get resources in this world. So, you know, I would find a way to look at your hiring plan and figure out how do you start to hire? Because people with machine learning skills and artificial intelligence skills, you know, they're no, no longer those people in the back room that no one quite knows what they're, what they're doing back there. They're like front and center. So that's one. Secondly, is like just to think about Web3, right? And the metaverse. And lots of people say, well, Joe, should I be in the metaverse? It's like, guess what? You are. <laughs> um, you have to do some experimentation today. Like it only matters if it matters to your customers, right? I mean, yes. should you be in the metaverse? Yes. I don't know. Ask your customers. Are they in the metaverse? If they are, you might want to be there. So <laughs> separate the signals from the noise. Get past the hype and look at, you know, at Spotify, they talk about the transition from the attention economy to the value economy and from their lips to God's ears, right? Because I just love to see a company that's so technology-centric understanding that the way they keep you and I subscribing isn't from just some kind of quirky um, uh, attention-grabbing um, uh, click. It's because they created more value. You know, they made your yoga experience better. They can encourage you to go for a run because they invited you to listen to a workout. See what I mean? They understand personalization is about relevance, not about just kind of attention. And so take that lesson. Understand this is about creating more value in the future, not just some kind of trick to get a better conversion. And then the last thing I'd say is, you know, if all you've done is read a book on Agile, go further. Like <laughs> really start to make the transition to like scrum meetings and burn down charts and embrace experimentation because... If you're not doing it, I guarantee you, your competitors are are on it. Yeah, yeah. I'll add one is learn journey mapping, even yeah. if it's back of the napkin. <laughs> and And don't do it in the traditional ways. You really have to now look at it truly omni-channel and infuse in your journey of how customers are learning, buying, getting, using, paying, get help. It's both the human journey and the technology journey and even the communication journey because we know that's where it breaks down a lot. Yes. Well, and Stacey, as, as I think you know, I, we built a, a, a software platform called CX Workout a few years ago that did mapping of the customer experience. And, um, you know, to me, the other thing that's changed about journey mapping is there's a lot of data that just exists passively. That if you have, we use a technology called Pointless from Genesis and it, and it captures data, you know, you can actually understand what the customer's experience is without even really asking them with enough data points. So think beyond just the napkins, because I think if you have enough digital infrastructure, they're screaming at you. You're just not hearing them. Absolutely. Why I mentioned the napkin is that people are afraid to even start. The technology is intimidating. Yes. So that's where I say, if you're listening and you don't even know where to begin, don't worry about the fancy tools and platforms. Just whiteboard it. 
But then you bring in people to help yeah. you and really dig deeper. So the technology is our friend, but don't let it pause you to not start. Yes. I just, my, um, I was just unloading the car here. My wife bought a bunch of napkins and I thought, I wonder if a napkin company <laughs> used these to map their customer journey. Let's use our own products. Forget the post-it notes. We'll use napkins. Napkins. <laughs> That's ironic. Well, <laughs> let me ask you rapid fire two questions. Leadership. What's the best leadership advice you've received or given? Well, it's common knowledge. You know, hire people smarter than you. I had this job, I was way over my head at Bank of America's head of Six Sigma for a big division of the bank. And I remember I had like 30 um, master black belts. Like these were some of the smartest people I ever worked with. I felt like the only value I added is, I'd say, is anyone hungry? Should I order pizza? I actually have an expense account. <laughs> but just hire people that you know will just you know challenge the team and make the team better. And uh, anyway, that's probably the best advice I'd give anyone. I love that too. And now let's talk about Joe. If you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you say to younger you? Well, obviously, buy Berkshire Hathaway at $2,000. <laughs> okay. You know, nothing else would have mattered, Stacey. <laughs> yes, um, no, and... There's an old saying, someone's uh, a mentor. Um, I did a terrible job of this of this presentation. And uh, a mentor of mine came to me afterwards and he said, Joe, you can do better, but remember, don't change your speech, change your audience. And what he meant by that is, you know, sometimes you will not be a fit. Figure that out in advance and be who you are. You know, give the talk that Joe Wheeler gives, uh, not that someone else gives and just be true to yourself and uh, things will go a lot better. So don't change your speech, change your eyes. <laughs> well, you know what? That makes sense. Be in the room, pick the right room. And right. if it doesn't feel right, get out because there's other rooms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so everybody listening, if you don't love your job, if you don't love the audience that you're in front of and it doesn't feel right, if you're not working on your passion projects, and you're doing something else, it's time to embrace. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities. So thank you, Joe, so much for being here and all the wonderful tips. And I will include all of your uh, books and social presence and website in the show notes. So thank you again. Great. Thank you, Stacey. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.